we were unhappy, we couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. The purpose of the fourth step is to allow us to come out of these bedevilments, clean up our relationships, begin to clean up relationships with people, and to find a spiritual experience, to come to Dr. Bob's plan. Yeah. Okay, thank you for that. For that, uh, We can put that down. Thank you very much. My understanding of my addiction. I've come to believe that my eating problem is an addiction. And the definition for me of what my addiction is, um, Betty, can we turn the screen now? Can we stop sharing, please? I guess not. There we go. For me, is I have a primary relation with the food stuff. Throughout this entire presentation, I'm going to call my food the food stuff. I don't want to dignify it with any other kind of word or name. I don't want to tell you what it was. It's just it's the food stuff. And um, I had a primary relationship with food. That means that everything else around me was meant to serve that primary relationship. Through that was isolation and my, the money that I made, whatever charm I had, however I can manipulate people. The thing that was most important to me was the food. And there's a certain word objectification. Everything else is objectified outside of that relationship. Of course, which leads to tremendous isolation. And the isolation started in my childhood. Those of us who came into this program in our youth, when we were really young, came because we started using food when we were five, six, seven, or eight. And we became emotionally, I, be, I became emotionally arrested. And when I came into program, I didn't have a standard to return to or self to return to. All I had was this history of relationship with food. So my goals for the fourth step were to find a power for change. And the power I found and what's being offered in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous as a spiritual experience. Okay. So to enter an spiritual experience, I'm coming out of a certain impairment. I was spiritually impaired. I didn't know myself as a spiritual being. Didn't know that I had a relationship with people outside myself, other people besides myself. I was ending my terminal uniqueness and entering a world of relationships with the fellowship, with people, with, the, you know, with my bosses, with everybody around me. It was really important for me to see that with the food addiction, I had, I had created a little island, a little kind of a little spot where I was living when there was a whole world and sea of humanity and, and love and you know opportunities out there that I, do, I, do, I was not interested in really. To ensure the fourth step is a spiritual experience, I have to be gentle for myself and for the others I encounter in the, in the uh, you know as as I do the fourth step. Okay. So what's going to mark this uh, this this fourth step as a spiritual experience is the gentility in which I'm going to approach it for myself. And, and the mechanics or how I'm going to go about doing it. So I'm going to have a very limited review of steps one, two, and three. We all heard what Arlene had to say, and that was that's true. Those are the aspects. Those are the, those are the first three steps. But before there was step one, before Bill wrote the 12 steps, uh, what I call a step zero was the fellowship. These hundred or so alcoholics between Akron and New York, huddling together, smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee, sharing their stories, and finding some comfort with each other's presence, being comforted and having a spiritual experience through the relationship with each other. So when Evie came to Bill, glad tidings, I found religion, and Bill went to the Oxford group. And the reason why we're here doing the fourth step, because that's what the Oxford group, uh, which we call it, um, that's part of the Oxford group's kind of process, is to come out of spiritual malaise into, into the light of the, of the spirit. 
So when Bill decided the action group was okay, but he needed something more, because his life had to be about helping other alcoholics, he and Dr. Bob formulated Alcoholics Anonymous, the rudiments of it, before there were steps. And so Bill and Bob went to see the third AA, a guy named Bill also, and from there it just took off. So the fellowship preceded the 12 steps. So for me, the fellow, um, step zero is really important and it came to play an important part in my recovery when I came out of the aloneness in my recovery. When I first came into recovery, I was doing it all by myself. Even when I had a sponsor, I didn't talk with them. And uh, the thing about that is that if you're doing it alone, you're not doing it. And I gave huge amounts of service from the very beginning and I isolated in service. I hid out from people because I can go home alone I can do prodigies of service, but I never had to talk to anybody in a personal way. So when I finally started realizing I couldn't get abstinent because I was doing this alone, it was an important part of me to find the, to find the fellowship. And I had to leave whole sets of friends that I had had before just to follow that friendship into program. Okay, so step one for me was a right relationship with reality. Up to the point uh, I came to step one in that very first meeting, the second half of that is what struck me. My life was unmanageable. If you can believe it, I didn't know it. I had no idea my life was unmanageable. I never thought about it in those terms. I described myself, you know, poor hygiene, poor clothes, not working, all these problems. And I didn't realize my life was unmanageable. I couldn't separate the first and second parts of step one. My life was unmanageable. Step two for me was a bridge towards others. My higher power was me reaching, search for my higher power was me reaching outside of myself to find a way of coming out of the isolation of addiction. I'd been in therapy, but the core of me was still alone because I wasn't dealing with my eating disorder and still holding on to my addiction. So my, my higher power was a, was a leverage, was a lever, leveraged me away from my isolation towards a whole new life towards other people. And then step three is bringing my will into alignment with my higher powers. And that meant going to any length repeatedly. Now, one thing about steps one, two, and three, if you've been on a program for a while, you know you're always coming back to the basics, to the basics, step one, two, and three. To the best of my ability, okay, to go to going to any length without reservation means I'm doing it for the best of my understanding at this moment. Over the years, it got deeper and deeper as I went back to steps one, two, and three. Okay. So that's my understanding in terms of my presentation, what steps one, two, and three are about. Now, my experience of the spiritual nature of step four is that when I was starting to do step four, I needed to find a place of safety from which to do step four. If I was doing my therapy issues, my therapy issues is all that was there in my very first inventory. Uh, I had a place I had to step outside of the flow of my life, I had to step outside of my history, my outside of my memories, and that's where I found a place of safety. And the barriers to, the, the chief barrier to step, um, to, to doing my fourth step was, was remembering all these horrific experiences, in some sense being re-triggered, re-victimized, and re-traumatized by them. That's what happens a lot for people, and they put the fourth step away and they never, they never complete it, because it's too painful. And I understand that, but the spiritual perspective on doing fourth step is detachment. Detachment is a faculty of heart. Detachment is not indifference, but it's not allowing ourselves to get caught up in the stories. And I'll talk about that in a moment. 
Detachment is a spiritual faculty. It is non-reactivity. It's time for wise choices. It's the time between an impulse to act out and to choose not to act out. Time, there's all sorts of phrases in our program, our sayings, or slogans. Let go and let God is a detachment. In God's time is, is a detachment. Restraint of pen and tongue is to detach from the impulses and the drivenness and make room for your higher power to be in your life. It made room for higher power to be in my life. Okay, I'm talking about my experience. Excuse me if I get into the anonymous third person. It's a habit of mine. Serenity prayer to a certain extent is also a, um, a, 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 slow, a, it's a prayer of detachment. Accepting, asking our, asking our higher power for help and accepting and courage to act. But there's a certain amount of letting higher power guide us and lead us in that way. That's what detachment is. I was supposed to ask at this point, does anybody else think of any other slogans in AA or OA slogans that actually speak to detachment? To speak with releasing and letting go? Uh, yeah, Nancy B? Can we unmute? Uh, ask them mute. Okay. To die to live. To die to live. That Dang reminds, it. yes, to die to live. Now, faith is a big part of my spiritual life, but the mechanics of detachment do not require great faith. Just a commitment to letting go of something in the moment. Does anybody else have any other ones that they want to share? Okay, Pat, what do you got? I got let go and let God. Let go and let God. That's a good one. That's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. Is there anybody else? I'd like this workshop to be as interactive as possible so people can really feel like they're participating. Uh, there's Gina H. followed by Eileen. All right, Gina H., what do you have to offer? Can you unmute yourself? Gina H., okay, how about Eileen? Oh, I'm unmuted now, I think. Okay, Gina, unmuted? what are you, yeah, what do you, what, I'm what Gina. Do you um, I, I just wanted to ask you a question. When you first said, talked about detachment you said a couple things what it wasn't I just you said yeah. something and yeah detachment is not indifference, indifference. that's one thing I said is, is not indifference indifference okay. is cutting off feelings and not being interested detachment is being very interested but letting go that's the difference between detachment and indifference and um, it's what gives us the room actually what that that space between Caring but letting go gives our higher power a place in our lives. That, that split second between wanting to act out and choosing not to do it, that, the longer I'm in the program, the more time I have between the impulses and the actions. And that's the detachment. If you think about all the spiritual people that we, that I, if I think about spiritual people I've admired, they have a serenity and a, quiet, a quietness about them. That's the detachment. And that grows into peace and tranquility. But we first start with the detachment. Are there any other slogans in, in OA that kind of speak to this idea of detachment? There's Agnes, Carolina, and Ruth P. Let's start with Agnes. Okay, so we're not having much luck here. Carol P? I said oh. acceptance is the answer to all my problems. That's it. 
That's it. Surrender, surrender to win. There you go. Yeah, living in the pause. Those three. Living <laughs> in the pause. That's exactly the attachment I'm talking about. So we have to work on it. It helped me to work on my fourth step with that detachment so I don't get caught and trapped up in the emotionalism of it. For me, this is, the, the, the emotionalism is not where I'm going to find my spirituality. Okay? Let's go on to the next bit of here. Detachment is a spiritual perspective of peace. Peace is where we actually find the sources. Our, our, this is where I found my source in peace. I, found, I find that I'm nurtured by peace. It isn't the absence of conflict. It's, it's a source of nurturing. And peace leads to tranquility. And um, Dr. Bob's uh, plaque is always where I'm going with all of this. Through detachment, I've been able to see people and situations from my past with balance, curiosity, and forbearance. And when I come to do my fourth step and start writing down things, I can see the people around me who hurt me perhaps or hurt my feelings, maybe who trouble people themselves with forbearance. Okay. Uh, any other questions about this? This is the end of my little practicum. I cut it down quite a bit. I had a lot more to say, but I think to make room for our actual, our actual work, I, I cut things down a little. Um, I have, I'm here to entertain questions. Arlene, is there any way that we can help people on mute to ask questions? KLVP has uh, their hand raised, followed by Elham. Okay, so who wants to start? Who's the first one? KLVP, do you have a question? Yeah, hi there, thanks, thank you. Uh, my name's Kirsten from the UK. Morley, hello, thank you for the workshop. Welcome. I just wanted to come back to that word detachment and um, I wondered if you could elaborate on, this, on the distinction between detachment and abandonment. Mm -hmm. Abandonment is an idea that comes out of relational experience. Detachment is an activity, uh, kind of a movement inside myself. Detachment has nothing to do with relationships with others. It's how I enter towards my higher power. My higher power is something that I find with inside myself. And it is, it, is a, um, it is a place of peace inside myself. While abandonment is, a, is not a feeling, it's a social situation that leads me to fear, loneliness, panic. That's what abandonment is as opposed to detaching from, uh, from my uh, reactivity or from my reaction to things. Does that make sense? Mariana G, I think you have a question. Hi, what is your definition of forbearance? What is forbearance? Uh, forbearance is more than tolerating. It's forgiveness and tolerating and forgiveness. You know, forbearance. You're able to bear this person with some, some acceptance. Forbearance is acceptance and, and love, actually, more than tolerance. You forbear when you don't react, when you don't take action. You just accept people where they are and you accept them. Accept, accept situations of people as they are with love. Okay? Forbearance. Great. And okay, Morley, that's it for now. That's it for I'm now. Free to move on. All right. So how are we doing for time? We're doing good. We're doing good for time. Okay. So this is going to be the practical start of the, um, the practicum, I call it. As an old nurse, we always have 
presentations in the didactic, the teaching and the actual doing parts of things, the practical, practicum. We're going to be going into the fourth step. We're going to see how we can implement detachment in working our fourth step. So one of the things that I found over the years, I've been doing the program for 38 years, and I've done probably five or four or five uh, fourth steps in OA and other programs too, um, is that for me, I have to have a place of safety. And that means stepping outside, you know, the, the uh, havoc my history is wrought. And that means finding my higher power and asking my higher power to help me. I've got a fourth step prayer that I use before I sit down to work in my fourth step. It helps create this sense of safety, helps, helps me find peace while I'm doing all of this. And so I'm going to go ahead and ask Betty to show you guys my fourth step prayer. And we'll talk about it. Can you, that's not it. Part to practicum. The next one is going to be it. God, or my higher power, please bring me the wisdom and compassion for myself and others. Help me feel safe as I do this work. Help me set aside my stories to grow in spiritual perspective of peace as I revisit my past. This gives me a sense that I'm, envelop I'm, in I'm enveloped in a, in a special place from which I can work on my fourth step with some time and uh, be at rest in the process. One of the things that I've noticed is my deepest self, I find my deepest self in places where I'm at rest. And peace is, being at rest is part of being peaceful. Okay, thank you. You can take it down there. So I noticed this a long time ago. You know, I'm, I'm a nurse. I'm a workaholic. I love taking action and doing things. But where I find my true self is where I am at rest. Who do I choose to spend time with when I'm at rest? And where, where do I find spiritual nourishment when I'm at rest? Rest is really important, which is why there's a, a Sabbath for all of us, whether it's Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And there's other religions have rests built into their traditions as well. I find myself, I'll know myself from where I find rest. And so when I'm working on my fourth step, I want to be a place of peace and rest. So I do this prayer, or sometimes I just sit still and feel my body and feel myself and take rest, disengage from the world and take rest. One of the challenges, one of the things I wanted to do is give you guys an opportunity, spend a few minutes, writing a fourth step prayer for yourself. Now, some people who are really new are not familiar with the program way of having a certain uh, prayer associated with a lot of the steps. Maybe you don't have a relationship with a higher power, but for those who can, let's take a few minutes and for yourself, with that pad and paper, write down for you what is a four, what is fourth step prayer would look like for you. Look inside yourself and see if you can feel what that would feel like. And let's give us, um, Three minutes for this or four minutes? What do you think, Arlene? Is that okay? Yeah, I think three minutes. I'll set a timer for that three minutes, right now. Yeah. Okay, three minutes. Write down. Okay.
Morley, uh, some people are asking if you can repeat the prompt, please. Repeat the what? The question. The, the, what they oh, yeah, the question do, is right? asking people, spend a few minutes to write your own prayer, fourth step prayer. Write your own fourth step prayer. And Morley, I think it would be helpful if you could type in the chat your prayer. I've had uh, a number of people request it. Thank you. Well, you know, we can post it right here, screen share it. That's what we showed just a, a moment ago. Please, that would be please. great. So Betty, could you post my prayer again, please? There we go. Okay, everybody start wrapping up. You've got about 20 seconds left. <laughs> okay, that's about, that's the time. Okay. We do have time. I'd like to take it. So can you take it down again, Fede, please? I'd like to know if anybody's willing to share what they've written, what their fourth step prayer sounds like, or what that means for them. Uh, is anybody able to do that? So I see Elham would, uh, would like to do that and Leslie P. from Canada. Okay, so let's start with Elham. Elham, could you go ahead and yes. Of course, thank you so much. Uh, first, I wanted to say for detachment, I was thinking of let it begin with me. Uh, I was thinking about that. And also I wrote this uh, prayer that God, please help me to get rid of all of my resentments and become in peace with myself and others one day at a time. There you go, that's good. That's very nice. Uh, who else? Leslie P. from Canada. Hi friends, Leslie Compulsive Eater. Thank you so much, Morley. Um, my prayer is, dear God, come and sit with me. Breathe with me, God, and help me to be fearless and thorough. Wow, that's good. That's good. Lovely. You can rest with God. You can rest with your higher Agnes, power. Agnes, would you like to share? Okay, there. Now I'm unmuted. I said, God, please open my mind to delve safely and peacefully into the events, people, and things in my past that continue to threaten my serenity and give me the wisdom uh, to take this moral inventory and the grace and humility to understand these events, put them in perspective and achieve spiritual awakening and freedom. Wow, that's wonderful, thank you. Do we have time for one more? Eileen in Idaho has her hand raised. Okay, thank you. Um, Dear God, help guide me and allow me to discover what I need to reveal in my fourth step so that I can heal and become better at being of service to you and others. Very good. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for your willingness to share yourself with us. That was wonderful. Okay, so there's different ways we create a safe place for ourselves to work and to how we work for the, how I work with my fourth step. Uh, I create a self place, self, I create a self, safety. I create safety through self-awareness. Before I start writing, after I've done my fourth step prayer, 
I look at my body, I'll see what I feed. Do I feel heat or tension? Can I rest in what I find? Restlessness and agitation sometimes. And I look at my emotions. Am I, am I, am I shutting down? Am I feeling sadness? Am I anxious about what I might find when I start doing my work this day on the fourth step? And finally, the other thing is looking at our thinking mind. Now, there's something called, called faux feelings, F-A-U-X feelings, feelings that are not really feelings, but are thoughts. And we identify them as feeling all the time. Abandonment was brought up earlier today. Do I feel abandoned? No, abandonment is a social situation. What I might feel is frightened, lonely. I might feel uh, terrified. I might have a lot of feelings, but abandonment's not one. So I'm gonna give you guys this list. I don't know if we can post it. I'm gonna read these to you. If I'm thinking, if I find when I'm sitting down to work in my fourth step, that I feel abandoned, abused, attacked, betrayed, bullied, ignored, intimidated, invisible, let down, manipulated, neglected, rejected, rushed, unappreciated. If I find those words in my mind, I'm living in my stories and not in, you know, not in my place of peace. They take us back to our stories and the stories are very problematic. Most of us know ourselves and our identities through lots of stories from our childhood to what happened last week. We have pain, we have all sorts of physical and emotional experiences, and we understand them through organizing stories around them. And so one of the things that I hope we can do and that I did in my fourth step, I've learned to do as part of my fourth step over many, many times, is detaching from my stories. I don't want to know my stories as I'm myself through my stories because the stories very often are confusing. I did something that made me feel one way. I did another thing. I have a story around it. It's a force of, it's a source of bewilderment and confusion. And it's also how we identify ourselves as part of being stuck in old ways of thinking about ourselves and old ways of living, being caught in our stories. And the detachment I'm talking about is how we can create a new sense of self by letting go of the old stories and the old identifications with the stories. Detachment versus re-triggering. If you look at what re-triggers us, it's the stories we have around those memories. And very often those stories are victimization, they're stories of resentments. Our story is actually the source of an awful lot of our self-inflicted trouble. So it's possible to let go of the stories while you're doing your fourth step. And in fact, the stories really do nothing except create more confusion for us. Now I want to just talk about one last thing here. The stories do have a place when they're necessary, and that's in step five. You will share your stories when you do your fifth step with your sponsor, whoever you share your fifth, fifth step with. When you're doing your stories in the fifth step, it will, re, it, it will reframe them in terms of your recovery. In other words, when you're doing your fourth step, you're capturing all these, all these facts about your life. And when you're doing your fifth step, you're putting them in a whole new context, a whole new identity as a recovering person. By sharing your stories in the fifth step, there's catharsis, there's letting go, there's the emotional release that comes with telling your stories, but also you're putting now, have a context 
of spiritual context to become a spiritual resource, but not in the fourth step. The stories come in the fifth step. The big book says on page 64, taking an inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. It's not a process of gathering stories, it's fact. And it's important to keep the facts as minimal as possible. This is detaching from the stories, but recognizing events and the consequence of events. So what I do when I do my fourth step, and I've done this multiple times over the years in many programs, is that I gather little snippets of memories. I, I believe it should take, you should take a couple of months to pull together the, the memories or events for a fourth step. And the first ones are very charged and you write them down, but you should write them down as little snippets of information. Person's name and, you know, this event. Person's name and this event. And if you have a little piece of paper with you, I have a little pad and a pen. Every time one of these memories come up that causes distress, that takes us away from being present in ourselves and being present with others, write it down in just terms of just one or two, one or two words and put it in a God box and just leave it there. When you get 10, 15, 20 of them, take them out and then put them into a column, which will be your first, first column of your inventory and write them down as just the name and the event. And then, then you already have a pre-made grid. You start entering, you start populating that grid. And I recommend to do what I do, which is my way of doing the fourth step, is you put it in 10 year increments, zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, at my age, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60. And depending on where you come into program and how, when you're starting your fourth step again. And so what you have after doing this for maybe a month or so, you have a whole list of things that you've accumulated and memories that may have been suppressed or you had just forgotten about. You actually have a whole list of things to work with that'll really help you make sure that you're doing a comprehensive and thorough moral inventory. If you, do, if you can do a fast and dirty one and quick, that's good. But then there's always something you forgot and it winds up being a 10 step later on or something like that. But I don't think any of the steps should be rushed through. So you enter them into the pre-made grid. So what are we looking for? What causes, what caused me distress? Okay, so there's a whole, there's a whole, which we call it slide here, a screen sharing I want to go over with you. So uh, Fede, if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly, excuse me, I'm sorry. But go to the screen that says what we are looking for in our past. I began with a simple inquiry, what causes me to stress? These are all things that came right out of the big book. What are the challenges to my emotional sobriety I'm seeking? According to the big book is what I feel I'm being threatened. Okay, four things the big book talks about. Self-esteem. Self-esteem I define as how I care about and value myself. Pocketbook, financial security, freedom or empowerment. Ambitions, I'm going to. Personal relationships, including sex, intimacies. Am I in conflict with other people, institutions, and principles? People can be parents, bosses, intimates, friends, or acquaintances, institutions, the government, religious organizations, employers. In principles, we must be patriotic, we must be self-sacrificing, high-minded. Are there conflicts aggravated by character defects or flaws? I prefer character wounds, natural instincts that have been worked and kind of distorted by one, childhood trauma. Then when we're children, what happens to us and the things we do that may be 
painful for us to remember are, are not our fault because we're children. And very often in our childhood, childhood trauma comes from neglect, disregard, and violence, and taking on the shame of the adults around us. And I'll talk about that more later. One of the things causes us to be in conflict and, and, and kind of warp our natural instincts is the seven deadly sins comes right out of the big book. Greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. And you can find your own words for that. But I think those things that I, I know I identify with. My addiction itself, objectification of others, separation from natural connection, always leading to various kinds of distress. And I put down violence because uh, I, I, I kind of regret the word violence. I just say the word distress. Uh, another one is dishonesty and self-dishonesty. What have I been doing? And a lot of times I'm not being honest with myself, like not recognizing that my life was unmanageable was a sort of, was, was a form of self-dishonesty. Sloppy, unexamined, ill-considered thinking and speech. Expectations are an example of ill-examined, ill-considered thinking and speech. Taking things personally, lashing out or lying is bad speech, speech that gets me into trouble. Judgment and resentments from my primary offenders is separating me from connection to others. My second major fourth step inventory, the takeaway after 12 hours of doing a fifth step was that my judgmentalism was a defense against being close to other people. It's how I kept people at a distance. Uh, is there another screen behind this one, please, Fede? Okay, we'll get to the actual inventory now. Uh, let me see, just before we go on, let's see if there's anything else I want to say about these. Um, okay, anybody have any questions about this going forward? I yes, I see two hands up. Karen M. from Pennsylvania has a question, and so does Vicki. Okay, Carol? Karen. Karen, excuse me, Karen. Yes, Karen. You're muted. You're okay, muted. I'm unmuted now. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Um, hi, Morley. I'm Karen. Um, I'm a compulsive overeater. I am a member of a few other programs as well, and I know many other people that are. Um, when you do your fourth step, are you redoing everything? Are you just redoing the things that you're still resentful towards? Or do you look at everything in the past to, do a, to try and do a better job of it? What's your feeling on this? Uh, when I first came into program, I'd say the first two or three inventories were everything back to my earliest childhood. And every time I looked at it, it was a little deeper and deeper and clearer. But when I started, I'm doing my, my second step right now. I'm going through the steps again right now. At this point, I'll be doing things that have happened more or less in, in the recent past and the few, in, in the present. Because by now, I've mined and worked and lost resentments in the, the problems from my childhood. At 71, I've worked through those things. And my inventory is not going to go that far back anymore because actually I've worked that to, to, I think to a satisfactory degree. But if you're new to program, write down to childhood, write the earliest, the earliest experiences. And I'll go over, I'm going to share with you my inventory from the time I was zero to 10 and 10 to 20 and to see how that works for me. Okay. But does that answer your question? Okay. There's another question. Yes. Um, Vicki 714 area code. Hello, Vicki. You have a question? Could you unmute yourself? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. 
So I have a question about the resentments because you said that if you're looking at resentments, you're staying in your story. But all of the workbooks that I've, or worksheets that I've seen on the fourth step uh-huh. have the different review of resentments, fears, sex conduct, and harm. So uh-huh. I'm looking at resentments. Uh-huh. Um, so it just, can you talk about that a little bit more? If I'm looking sure. at resentments sure. in terms of the worksheets that I, maybe I shouldn't be working. Off no, the- no, no, that's fine. So yeah, we can always look at things from perspective of our stories, you know. Uh, my sister or my brother or somebody did something at work and he got the promotion. I resent him for getting it. But if I was just doing a fact thing, fact is the name of the person, the event, he got the, he got the uh, promotion, how it affected me. I developed a resentment and forth on my part was maybe unrealistic expectations or not being willing to accept. So I'm not getting involved with the stories, but the facts are there without becoming a narrative in the story. And you'll see how that works out when I show you my inventory. Does that, um, any more questions? Yes, there's from Karen. All right, it's a different Karen? Yes, it's a different Karen with her hand raised. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Um, Yeah, also, I I think we're not able to unmute ourselves, so there might be a little delay, but... um, Okay, uh, I was wondering about the things that you write on slips of paper and put in the God box while you're kind of gathering materials for your fourth step. What sorts of instances were those? Are they like, were you meaning for those to be past instances that come up and disrupt our serenity? Or is that something in the day that happened that disrupts my serenity or both? Or both actually, I think that's a good way of looking at it. So what happens is that I'm working during my work day and for some reason, because I've been doing my fourth step, I remember a time my mother beat me. <clears throat> and that was something that had a tremendous impact on my self-esteem, my sense of safety, all those things. So I'll put down mother beating, just leave it alone, just like that. If I have a specific beating in rela- relation, because I got beat more than once, believe me. So I would say mother beating, and if there was a certain moment, I would write down beating me, you know, at that particular time for that particular reason. Then I'll, I'll unpack it later on. And um, if something from my child is affecting me right now, I'll go back and think of it in terms of my childhood, but then I can do, I can add it for right now too. If I'm doing something that is untoward or self-destructive or really, you know, something that I really don't want to have affecting my life anymore, something in the current, I can put two different things down, one from my childhood and one that's current. Does that make sense to you? Hey, Morley, this is Diana. We're getting a bunch of questions, and I'm wondering if you could put up the slide that shows the grid with your examples so that you can talk through it as they're asking. Okay, just a second. Before we do that, I've got a little more to say about this, okay? Uh, One second. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, let's put up the grid. There are two more questions, Sharon M. and Elsa. Okay, Sharon. Sharon? Hi. Hi, thank you. Uh, the list that started with abandoned, attacked, ignored, is there any way we can, you can either repeat it slowly or can you put up a slide with that list? Uh, I don't think, I think there might be a slide with that list. It's on the original set of slides that Katie made as part of my agenda. It would require going through that and being able to see it. So Fede, could you put up on the left screen, side of the screen the entire 
slide set that Katie had, had created? I can just take a screenshot of it if you do, and then that'll make yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, so it'd be good. If, uh, Fetty, are you able to do that? Maybe not. So I can, I can read them to you again. If I, I got a lot of them, so if you read them a little slowly, and I'm happy to post okay. them once I have all of them. Okay, abandoned, abused, attacked, betrayed, bullied, ignored, intimidated, invisible, let down, manipulated, neglected, put upon, rejected, rushed, unappreciated. Now, how we would confuse that, you'd say, oh, I'm feeling terrible. I feel so unappreciated. Well, unappreciated is not a feeling. It's a social situation. What you're feeling is lonely, hurt, and other feelings that are actually emotional feelings. But we do this in English language. We confuse ideas with feelings all the time. And those are particularly egregious ones that really show up in our stories. You're invisible. I feel, I, I, I feel lonely. If you're invisible, you're lonely. Okay, it's above that. Uh, okay, that's good. Stay there. Thank you. Any more questions before we go on to this actual inventory? Uh, I know that Ilsa from the Netherlands has a question. Rod Please. has a question. Okay, so Ilsa, let's hear it. What from the Netherlands? Oh. Okay. So let's just put this down for right now. But Hi, Ilsa from the Netherlands. Um, thank you for your story. It's really helpful for me. Uh, one of my uh, character defects that I will always want to do things perfect. Yeah, um, And that's also my problem with my fourth step. Uh, I'm, I'm working on it over a year now. And mm -hmm. um, I'm, it's, it's so difficult for me when, I, when, I, when I'm finished with my first step. How long do I take, uh, go further with writing? And uh, how deep do I need to go? And when it's good enough? That's, ah. that's <laughs> in my head. And okay. I'm listening to all what you said, and that's is. I'm wondering if you can help me because that's a real struggle. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go back to the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. If you're doing paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, you're living in your stories and you're expressing yourself. You're getting some catharsis from doing it. But it's also impeding your completion of your fourth step, which is to gather facts and information together. So, if you've been doing this for a year. Well, I hope it's been productive, but I have a feeling that you're just doing a lot of writing and a lot of feelings and you're not finishing your fourth step. And yes. so there should be no sentence more than just, you know, one or two, you know, one or two sentences for any of these things. It's a way of putting a, a structure or kind of a wall between you, between, between what your concern is, which is the event and your reaction and all of your, of your emotional life. We don't want to go into our emotional life in the fourth step. We'll do that in the fifth step. And so keep it simple, keep it short. If you find yourself using any of these words I just described, if you find yourself spending more than just 10, 15 minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, you're going too long. And the last thing I'll say, what is good enough is good enough. There's no hard, fast rules. You know, you'll know what's good enough. And I think you suspect that it's taking you a year to do your fourth step that somewhere you're getting kind of trapped. And I hope that helps. 
Okay. Thanks, Morley. Two more questions. Donna sure. R. from San Francisco and Rod have questions. Sure. Donna? Hi, can you hear me? I certainly can. All right. Hey, I just wanted to clarify, I think this is what I heard you say um, when a, a couple things actually. So we're putting down the fourth step is a, this fact-finding mission. We're putting down the person's name and a snippet of the event, putting it in the God box. And then when we go to actually do this, the, the force or do a full force step, we just are expanding on a little bit more of that, but not like writing a book about it, not telling yeah. a story. It's, it's okay. And then what, cause I've already done a four step. Um, I've, I've completed all 12 steps, but I, I think that it's time to do them again. And, um, I'm just wondering, you had said something about, um, I think if, if, you, if you have a thought from your past and you have a, maybe a resentment around it, that should go in the God box because there's something still there. If you feel that, if you don't, if you have that detachment, then you're, you, you, it's, it just could come into your mind and it, go, it flows through. So we don't need to address that, correct? Not necessarily, not necessarily. Okay. Uh, detachment doesn't mean you don't have feelings. And if there's still feelings there, detachment doesn't mean that you're not concerned about what happened in the past. Detachment is just a way of looking at it with a little- No, right, no, I'm saying that when, it ha when that thought comes to my mind, I don't have any feelings around it. Okay, well, so that's, that's, maybe you've worked through that and you don't have to revisit that again. Got it, okay, just wanted to clarify. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, Rod, do you have a question? Rod, unmute, Rod. Rod, I can't hear I, you. I thought that I had, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Good. Uh, this question kind of uh, bounces off the last question. Uh, so, Resentment, by definition, uh, in this case, is uh, a visceral experience. It's something we feel in our stomach, it knots up, or our chest, or throat. It's a feeling. That's what I'm, I'm, this is the question. This is what we're looking for, correct? Uh, we're looking for the fact of resentment and the things that it's rooted in, the event that it's rooted in, yeah. yeah. But in the fourth step, you're not going to go ahead and unpack and give yourself, the, you're not going to spend time kind of, you know, kind of working through that resentment. You'll do that in the fifth step. You work through the resentment on an emotional level in the fifth step, not the fourth step. You're just gathering facts at this point. And so I'll show you right now, we're going to go to my fourth step. I have six examples, each 10-year period of my fourth step. I'll show with you two at a time. And so could you put those up, please? And person, place, a thing, the cause or event. The cause was an interaction. My, how does it affect my ambition, personal relationships, feelings are as relevant? Let's go down to mine. Let's go down to my fourth step, okay? There it is, zero to 10, okay? Uh, person, my mother, uh, beat my head into a door until the door broke. How does it affect me? Trust, my self-esteem, 
affected my personal relationships. It created fear in my, in my body and my heart. What my part was, that you have all these faces here that we can't see. If we can move it over a little, it would be very helpful. I took on the shame. My mother was behaving shamelessly, and I took on the shame. I blamed myself. I blamed myself because my mother, it must have been me doing something so horrible. Not that my mother was being shameless and acting out of her, her illness. I took on the shame, and I, 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 I believed it was my fault that she was doing this. Of course it wasn't my fault. I was seven years old, eight years old, and she beat my head into a door until it broke. And she loved me. So my part is, is taking on that shame, okay? Here, next one is uh, liquor store clerk, okay? The event. I went, to a, I went into, a, into a liquor store and, uh, no, can we go back? Thank you. I tell you what, don't worry about it anymore. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just talk off it. I was in the liquor store, I called it in. I, was, I, was, I had a quarter in my hand. I was eight, nine, ten, I was more, between 10 and 20, young kids still. And I think maybe it was under 10. And I walked in, I had a 25 cent piece, which in those days you could buy a lot of penny candy. Whole display of penny candy. And when he um, saw me spend the entire 25 cents, he said, I knew you'd spend the whole quarter, kid, right? And it affected my sense of self-worth. I, I felt shamed by that. And the situation was, I was a fat kid. I was very vulnerable, fat kid buying candy. And this guy was not very sympathetic, or he was not very sensitive. He shamed me. And what the truth about that, that the pith of that, and the reason why it was on my inventory so many decades later is that he was repeating what my father said to me. He was re-triggering my father's shame. My father's name for me was Marshmallow. And I walked around with that shame that that liquor store you know, clerk gave me, but it was really my father who shamed me all the time, called me Marshmallow and jerk. And he told me I was fat. And it was just a horrible, horrible thing that he did. And so that stuck with me all those years. And that was my, my first, second, third inventory. Now I've forgiven my father. I've let go of this, you know, the, the, um, you know, the liquor store clerk. But it's been part of my inventory. And I just wanted to share it with you guys. Okay. So it's a workshop. I'd like to spend the next five minutes for people to put down at least something between zero to 10, 10 to 20 on their four step, four column inventory. I'd like you to go ahead and find something for yourself from your past, going back to your childhood that you can go ahead and put on inventory. So Arlene, can we go ahead and time this please? Yes, uh, four minutes. Four minutes, thank you. That's all right.
We've got one minute left, everybody. Okay, that's time. And I believe there might be some questions. Questions, if anybody wants to share one of their uh, items, that'd be very nice mm -hmm. too. So uh, can we take this down for a second? Does anybody have any questions? Uh, Karen has a question. Hi, thanks. Um, I was just wondering if we can use this for positive things too, in quotes, um, like as an example through a comment from my dad, me learning to view myself as superior to others, like instead of shame, but, you know, not being ashamed, but thinking that I was better than as the outcome. Absolutely. If you want to include positive things, there's no reason why you can't. And okay. uh, that's part of my 10 step every day is to look at positive things as well as, but you know, there's a certain thing about all these character wounds as I describe them. These are things that have been very self-defeating behaviors. And what I think of the fourth step is doing is looking at our self-defeating behaviors. They're not meant to be judged, but to clarify for the fourth step. And so you can put positive things because there's always, we do have positive things about us. And I would never tell anybody not to acknowledge their positive qualities. But for me, the fourth step is about finding all those tragedies um, one of the ways we have to look at our character wounds is their tragic strategy, strategies to meet authentic needs. And so if I'm taking my wife's inventory, it's a tragic strategy to meet my need. Or if I am abusing somebody verbally, I'm trying to meet my need for self-esteem, which I don't have. So I'm going about it tragically. So my fourth step is certainly about all the things that I've done to get in my own way. And the reason why I'm putting them all down is because they have been unsuccessful self-defeating behaviors. And that's what I want to focus on in the fourth step. Now, if you want to put positive things too, absolutely. There's no reason why we can't modify the fourth step to include that. But in my mind, what I'm looking for in the fourth step, there'll be time other places I could say in the 10th step. Um, but if I want to collect a, uh, we'll go through a, a different kind of collection in a little while, but certainly, yeah, if you want to put positive things down, there's no reason not to. Does that answer your question? Um, there too. No, Karen, Karen hasn't finished yet. Karen, did uh, I answer your question? You're muted. Karen. Okay. Thank you. Um, I was waiting for the ability to unmute myself. Um, I, yes, that does answer my question. I actually didn't really mean to say positive because um, what I was talking about was like being better than other people and like reinforcing um, bad habits, but you answered that too, actually. So any like tragic coping strategies to meet my needs. So thank you yes. very much. You're welcome. Other questions? There too. 
Alberto. I apologize if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Hi, Maury. Um, thank you for the uh, for the uh, re review. I really um, I really have one question for you because um, it says how does it affect my, and then I kind of looking back on what you said on your other uh, screens, I'm thinking about feelings versus emotions. Right. And when you talk about feelings versus emotions, how will I feel, meaning what caused this event? And then my emotions, I said, what was my part? I keep thinking the seven deadly sins. Am I thinking in the right categories when I'm analyzing the situation about what happened? Like my know. job closing down, right. you know, you know, a simple example of uh, people, places and things is work. I was very bitter at my job that they were going to close the company and right. I was going to be out of work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then uh, then a ton of other things happening, like, you know, uh, being laid off, getting retiring, retiring early and doing those things. OK, my feelings were of sadness because my company was closing down my anger and hate were part of my how do you separate how does this affect my the seven deadly sins feelings versus um feeling versus uh, uh okay. emotion okay let, let me look at it right here the person maybe my employment my employer is the person cause or event i'm being laid off from work it affects my financial, my financial security, affects my self-esteem, it affects my uh, feelings of worth, my self-esteem. Checking. Yeah, my part is that in this moment, I'm not trusting, I'm not having faith in myself, I'm not recognizing I've got resources around me that are gonna help me weather this issue. And then recognizing my anger and bitterness is closing my heart to myself and to my higher power. That's my part. Say that on the last part again. So recognizing my what? My bitterness? or no, so recognizing, recognizing the strengths and things you have available to you. In other words, your, your part is to choose the negative way of looking at it. You're angry and bitter because you're losing your job, which is totally understandable. But then the next response, because we have a choice of what we how we respond, is that I can pray, I have a higher power, I've got a family, I've got skills, and I've got a work history, an exemplary work history, I've got strengths, and you by getting caught in the bitterness and the anger, you're closing your heart down instead of you opening your heart to the possibilities. And so it affects me this way because I've chosen in that moment in reactivity, the reactivity to be to, to to get bitter and closed and small when I could take heart in all the strength and resources I have and then have trust and faith in your higher power and your family and your resources. Okay, but I, I you you said this is how it affects me and that yeah. was my emotional part, right? Emotion versus feelings. Well no, emotion are feelings. Emotions are feelings, the same thing. And I'm not talking about feelings in the third column. Uh, I'm talking about uh, these uh, these concerns, my self-esteem, my financial security, my ambitions are stymied because I don't have that chance to become a manager anymore. Uh, I don't feel like I can trust the people I work with anymore. Those are how it's affecting me. Does that make sense? 
Uh, I'm a little bit, yeah, because um, I'm thinking how is it affecting me in the sense of, um, like you said, I figure, is that the column where we look at the uh, seven deadly sins or our feelings no. as far as sadness, no, no. insecurity? Yeah. Right, right, insecurity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I get it. So that's where you're looking at your insecurity. And the insecurity comes from your first visceral reaction. I Which have is, to look. Yeah. Let, me, let me pull this story. Hold on. Let me go back. Um, uh, conflicts with people, principles, and institutions. Maybe it's the institution of your workplace. The principle that you're having a problem with is that you thought you had job security and a lifelong employment. That wasn't necessarily realistic, right? And so your reaction, your part in this distress, your part in this inventory is that you're getting negative, feeling, feeling inadequate. When you're you know, a 50 some odd year old man with tremendous experience, work history, skills, and a family around you and people and friends that are gonna give you the support you need. Does that make sense? I can talk to you about it afterwards. We have to move yeah, on. Yeah, okay. I'll, yeah. Okay, I'll call you. I have your number. Yeah, call me later. We'll talk about it. Okay, I think we've got to move on to the next set of, uh, of my inventory. Arlene, what do you think? Yeah, I think so because it is 2.15. I know a number of people have their hands raised, but I would really like you to get through your piece of the workshop and then we can always extend a little bit for some Q&A if that's okay, okay with everyone. So let's go back to my inventory example, okay? Okay, so work submitters. When I got my job, as a, my first job as a registered nurse, um, person in place to cause an event. I was bullying and acting out of rage. And I was told by my spot, my, my, my supervisor, if I didn't go around and listen to people and apologize, I was going to lose my job. So it affected my, it created social isolation. I lost, I, my job security was threatened. My financial security was threatened. So all these, so this behavior, this really, really destructive behavior was isolating me, making me feel unloved, other, and affecting my job security. Okay, my, my part in it was that I was allowing myself, I was bullying other people, I was looking for ways to bolster my self-esteem, and also unconsciously I was just raging. And I found people who were below me that were a defenseless on which I could rage. And I was certainly full of shame after the you know, after I was called on the carpet for it. But it also gave me a chance to make amends before I came to program. And I became friends with all those people and I had a very successful work year at that job. So that's number, that's that one. Girlfriend, she's being nice to me, the situation or cause or event. She's being nice to me after an unscheduled night shift work. In my mind, I was calling her a sallow cow. I was so resentful and angry and unavailable emotionally. It affected my, I felt lonely, I felt shame and fear full of resentment. And so her niceness and my response to it was really just destructive. Basically, I was being judgmental, I was reinforcing my resistance to intimacy, and it ended the relationship. It's part of what ended the relationship. So I was being destructive, I was being angry and rageful still. And so that's two, and I'll give you two more, and then we'll just call it a day and we'll just answer questions. One, between 40 and 50, I was already 40 years old, 42 or 43 actually, uh, in program for over 20 years. I was sleeping on a floor 
dust-encrusted, aggravating my asthma. It affected my health. It affected my sense of being out of control. I felt unsafe. My part was I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't doing basic, basic health care for myself. And consequently, I was neglecting myself and abusing myself, which is something that I did a lot in my life. And there was one more uh, that was important. If we go back one, uh, it was that I was a, I was a poacher of small animals. I lived in the desert, reptile poacher. I lived out in Coachella Valley. I assisted this, this guy in poaching lizard snakes and scorpions for pet stores. It affected my societal isolation, resentments. I felt unsafe. And I was more or less being browbeaten or just I was afraid of this guy. I was going along with him because I was afraid of him. So I did this out of resentment in a sense the rules didn't apply to me. I was aggravating my societal, you know, kind of like, uh, which we call alienation. And if I look back at my time at that point, I was doing a lot of petty criminal things. I was with another friend jumping over fences to go steal things out of, uh, out of which we call it, out of um, an Abbey's Rents truck yard. We stole things off the trucks. And I was doing other kind of criminal things at that point in my life. This is before recovery. And the final one, can we go to the next one, please? My wife, the wife. I was married, we had arguments. I was being passive aggressive. It affected my safety, financial security, sex relationship, fear of losing my marriage and lack of safety. And it just aggravated all my most negative tendencies. Well, my part in it was resentments. I took her inventory all the time. This is after being in a program a good 30 years, 20 years, and making negative, um, being negative uh, judgment and a lot of codependent behaviors. So it was a person, the cause or event was the arguments I had with my wife. And it affected my sense of, of emotional security and affected my sense of financial security, fear of losing my marriage. And what my part was, I was full of resentments taking inventories, making negative judgments, and behaving very codependently. So that's it, folks. That's, that's my inventory that you've seen, and being as honest as I can with you. So we have a little time left. And so I was going to encourage, I'd like people to spend a little more time just doing some of their own. Let's work on something more current in your life than something going forward back to childhood. I want you guys to walk away with something that you can hold on to. So Arlene, is that okay? Can we do that? Another four minutes? Absolutely. For people to write their own inventory, fill in those, fill in those, uh, those columns.
You've got two minutes, everybody. Okay, final moment or final minute. Okay, can we just get um, stop screen sharing and just see people again? Thank you. That's the last we're going to work on. I hope people were able to find a way of actually having something they can build on. Do we have questions? We have time for questions. Agnes, do you have another question? Um, I think my question has really been answered. I didn't understand the fourth part, my part in it, but I think you subsequently explained it. Okay. You know, it, in other words, it's my part in it, right? Correct. What could I have done different? How did I, how was my reaction, you know, a part of how I felt? Like if my sister called me fat, ugly, and lazy, and I blew up at her, and it affected my pride, self-esteem, and personal relations, would my part in it be that I let her push my buttons, I believed what she said, or does that include something like, well, I'm fat and I should have taken care of my obesity? No, no. I think your part in it was one that you were vulnerable and felt hurt by her, by her words. You don't have to own what she's saying or take on that shame. The other part is you let yourself act out against her, which inevitably is gonna create more shame and more divisiveness. And mm -hmm. so that I think was your, your part. And whenever we're acting out or lashing out, that means we're basically not coming from a place of self-love. In fact, I, mm -hmm. one of the last words I'm going to say about all this is that when we lose our job and we feel so bitter and angry or when our sister says something that hurts us, it all comes from a lack of self-love, which is one of the deepest parts of being, uh, of being in our condition, our situation as addicts. Self-love is the answer, true self-love. Mm -hmm. And we have oh. to find that in ourselves. So any more questions? So the last part, if you will. Sure. That, uh, that my part, right? Maybe what I should have done different. Does that always equal to why I resent myself? In other words, I resented myself for going low with her, for getting in the gutter with her. Yeah. For, yeah. yeah. It, is that the same, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think okay, so. thank you.
But that's got to be looked at with some self-love and some self-understanding and some kindness for yourself, too. Okay, so we have a lot of questions. So, Shana, would you like to ask yours? Please unmute. Hi. Um, the quick, a quick question. So um, when you, I, one of the reasons I've kind of resisted some of this work, I think is because I was afraid of bringing up all these resentments and getting stuck in them. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if you have any ritual or anything that allows you kind of after you've identified the patterns, not to feel like the re-triggering is just doing more damage than actually clearing. That's, that's my concern. That's why I'm trying to put this in the framework of a spiritual experience by, um, by recognizing it as an exercise in self-care and recognizing there's no self-judgment. There's just clarification of tragic, clarification of recognizing those tragic attempts to meet your needs, to meet, our, to meet my need. And so it's things that are just self-defeating. Could you clarify the question one more time? I, yeah, is there any? Yeah, is is there anything you advise doing if you feel like bringing up the tragedies again is creating more trauma than yeah, allowing yeah. it? To go? Yeah. yeah, if that's happened, you got to stop doing it for a while. Just let it all quiet down. Enter it. You know, use your fourth step prayer. God help me be safe, self-loving during this process. And if I'm getting accelerated into my stories or feel really re-trigger, then you just have to put it aside. Just let it go for the time being. Recognize your agitation in your body, the thinking that's going in your mind. It's, it's actually putting a block. And you can't do this really effectively if you're getting re-triggered because then you don't want to do it. That's exactly what I'm trying to help people not do. So the prayer. The prayer is a good place to start. And then walking away when you have to. Okay? Great. Thank you. Sure. Another question? Uh, Pam S. has a question. Hi. Um, it's a question plus, um, like you mentioned about, like, does anyone want to share? So I actually did my inventory. I wanted to come here. Uh, I've given it away and stuff. But I wanted to come here to learn if I'm doing it right and how, so I can share um, with somebody I would sponsor sometime. So I already did for my mom, but this time, which it just – Thought about my mom, the cause she told me she was going to kick me in between my legs so I couldn't have babies when I was 14. Affects my trust, my self-esteem, my personal relationships, my part, um, oh, and security up there too, affects security. Um, my part, um, hurt feelings, took it personal, resentful towards her, bitter, um, vulnerable, hurt. But I already did it before, but now I, I feel like I need to do another inventory, like I need to do her name, like again, and do a little piece of my inventory again that I already did because I didn't put that down. Do I need to do that again? Yeah, yeah. I've done these things over time, you know, re reframe them, re-understood them different ways. So is your mother threatening you like that and affecting your trust and your sense of safety and relationships? Your part is that you took on that shame. You listened to her and you felt shame. You felt bad about yourself and you felt in some way something's wrong with you. That was your part your reaction you're just you're just a child you're 14 years old and so when your children when these 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 interpersonal relationship terrible things come from our parents is that we think something's wrong with us which is why it shows up in our inventory 30 years later 40 years later 
Yeah, I, you know, yeah. Okay, any more questions? Uh, Veronica would like to share one of her resentments. Please. Hi, thank you so much. I, I cried when I saw your resentment against your mother, uh, Morley. Thank you. A lot of really good stuff today. I just finished writing my fourth step and I just want to, I wrote it with a pencil because uh, my sponsor said, just write it with a pencil in case you make mistakes, you know, because I wanted her to help me see my part in each one. And she said, no, the purpose is for me to see my part. So I would like to share uh, with you something current for me. And I resent um, my mother's Alzheimer's, her Alzheimer's disease. And it affects my self-esteem, my pocketbook, my ambition, uh, my personal relations. And my part, this is what I want to verify, my part is that um, I'm playing the victim and lack of acceptance. Lack and of then Was lack, there any of lack of empathy. Okay. So the thing is, did you, did, you have, did you have a really difficult, tortured relationship with your mother? Well, yeah, I used to not like her. Uh-huh, okay. So can you see your mother's vulnerability and the tragedy of her loss? In other words, you're also not absolutely. showing... Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, absolutely. Where, yeah. You know, yeah, so and your part of this is the resentment is maybe due to something that happened in the past, or maybe you're letting yourself be, maybe it's self-pity, and you're not being, maybe you're, perhaps your part is you're not seeing your mother's tragedy as a tragedy, that she is, she's dying from a terrible disease. You're having a hard time connecting with your empathy for her. Does that make sense? You're having a hard time finding uh, your empathy for her. Yeah, or, or grieving the, the, or grieving um, the person that I once knew. That's right. Like, would that be my part? Yeah. Like that, my part? Yeah, your part would be, yeah, being somewhat self-centered, it sounds like, and not extending sympathy to your mother, and you're also not grieving the loss of your mother. There's a whole section of this entire fourth step that had to do with grieving, but it was not enough time to put it in and to lay another layer over everything. But grieving is a big part of what the fourth step's about, and that's why we have to have compassion and, and uh, kindness for ourselves. Go ahead, Arlene, another one? Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Veronica. Pat, did you have a question? Real quick, please, Borley. Um, the God box. Yeah. You know, um, maybe we want to put our resentments in the God box if we feel like, you know, they're remunerating or, you know, they're mm -hmm. there. Um, also, is the God box good for like wish list things like abstinence or, I mean, could you use them for positive? Could you use it for positives and negatives? Absolutely. So I want to take away the word God box, okay? I use the word God box. What I really meant is to put it someplace, put aside someplace safe that you know you can find them when you want to come back to them. There is something called a God box in which you put your fears and your wishes and positive things in as well. So it doesn't have to be a God box. It's just a place that's a safe location where you can find them when you want to return to them. A place that where you can accumulate a number of them and there's room for all of this, okay? I hope that answers. Great, Mimi? Um, Mimi, an overeater. My question, mm -hmm. I know going back to Beartos too, on the exact nature of my wrong, on, and I'm only working the fourth step. I had put angry on most of them, but I think some of the things you said, it's helped me other ways to look at it. Is there a list somewhere else that I could look at for more ideas? Or okay, so I don't understand. 
could you could you repeat the question again? I'm trying to understand it. All right, under the part that says the exact nature of my wrong, on under resentments, for the most part, I I I put my wrong was that I was angry. Uh, let me let me look at it here. I've got my inventory right here. I've got to see I got to see the actual format for you to hold on to it. Should I? Just okay, so. No, it's all right. Just so you had a person that you have a resentment towards, right? Correct. Person, what was the cause of the event that made you resentful? Um, loved you. Case, what was it? Okay, I was, I taught elementary music and my principal used most of the funding that I had got through like PTO performances for gambling. So I didn't have the money to use for music equipment. Uh-huh. So to me. One second, one second. So the event was he did he he was embezzling and malfeasance, <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. He was those things. How did it affect you? It affected your uh, your aspiration for your for your career. You wanted to do these wonderful things, your right. ambitions, your yes. personal financial security, maybe. Yes. Okay. Okay. My part is not recognizing. My part in, in the resentment is not letting go of it. Recognizing this guy as a problem. He's a sick man. To get rid of this resentment, one of the things you can do is to pray for him that he gets everything that you want for yourself. Your part in this is you're allowing yourself to be emotionally wounded rather than helping yourself by being willing to let go of the resentment. Resentment is, is a tragic strategy to meet your need of being comforted, to being cared for, taken care of. You're trying to take care of yourself by resenting, but it's futile. It's not gonna affect him and you're the only person being hurt by it to the resentment. So your role in all this is that you have not been willing to let go of the resentment. The resentment is going to make it harder for you to trust other people in the future. And so you have to talk to your sponsor about ways of letting go of resentments, recognizing the resentments will make you eat. The big book says that we, we don't have the normal, we, we can't afford the normal luxury of normal people of anger or resentment because you're going to eat over this if you sustain that resentment. Your goal, your role in this, my part is holding on to something that's going to destroy you. Because if you go out and eat again, it's going to be really damaging to your recovery life and God knows if you get it back. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So all these resent any resentment you have, recognize it as a self-punishment. And you want to let go of any self-punishment because you can't afford it. You can't afford to punish yourself anymore. Okay. You, 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 need, to, you need to love yourself. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you. Nancy B. My name is Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater. I grabbed oh. This my first God box was very big. Thank you, God. They're getting much smaller as time goes on. Not as many resentments. Um, Morley, I was there when you got here, and I, I remember what you were like well. And I want to thank you for all of us for your honesty and unveiling yourself down to the very core. I know it's not simple with an audience when they're brand new and they've been here a long time. My question is this. For me personally, it was necessary to have sponsors that urged me during this process to have some balance. But at some point, I was going for light at the end of the tunnel. And this was going to lead me to happy, joyous, and free. And it's not all gloom and doom. And at some point, they told me to call four people every day and ask them how they are. And they told me 
to go jump a rope and go to the beach and watch the waves, you know, and, and to color and to do all kinds of things in between while I was doing this to have that balance. And so I wondered if you might share with us that although the only key to recovery is complete surrender constantly, like you said, giving up your friends and things like that, and there's a lot of a pain that you walk through. The idea is to uncover, discover, and discard to get to a place of joy. So I wondered, maybe you could bring us up to date on relationships and on how you'll feel about your mom now. And, you know, at the end of the tunnel, how things have maybe changed and you have a little comfort. Yeah, okay. Actually, I had a whole paragraph that was very uplifting to end with a really <laughs> uplifting kind of statement. And when I redacted it down to a small little, uh, I, uh, which we call it, uh, outline, I kind of lost that paragraph. Okay, I, I have forgiven my mother <laughs> and my father. My father uh, made amends to me. We cried together, holding each other. Um, I, my marriage ended because my wife wouldn't go into CODA with me. And as I changed, marriage became un impossible. If she'd gone into CODA with me or gone to find some help for us together as a couple, we'd still be together. And so I'm living with someone right now, a wonderful woman who I love, and we have a wonderful home together in Venice. And um, I would say that the thing I discovered through this fourth step and through all the 12 steps was that I am co-creator with my higher power and everything that I find inside me and outside myself, which is why I got into trouble a lot, because I was also the co-creator. But as co-creator, I have found that I am much more than I ever suspected, that I'm more powerful and more able and more worth worthwhile than I ever suspected. And that's the outcome of the fourth step, to get to that place of recognizing that you have the power to come out of all these troubles, find Dr. Bob's, uh, find Dr. Bob's tranquility, and find safety in the world. And the other thing about it is I have found friendship, I have found relationships, I have an intimate partner, and we work together very well with his troubles, we work it out, and we, we come, we, you know, it, it doesn't have to go on and on and on. So I'm 71 years old. It, it does work. Don't quit before the miracles. My quality of life now is something that I never would have imagined at one time. I'm more comfortable in my skin. And after many fourth steps, I've come out the other side. And uh, I live a quality of life, like Roseanne says, beyond my wildest dreams. And if other people still want to have questions, it's after, you know, after time. You can call me on my personal number, or we can sit around for, oh, I don't know, I mean, what's the, what's the story about that? It's the time well, to end. What I thought I would do is just make a couple of um, closing comments. Mm -hmm. And also for those of you that are on the line, first of all, I really want to thank you, Morley, for all your preparation, for your share, your heart. It was really, really fabulous. Um, and there will be a link in the chat if, you, if anyone would like to contribute to the seventh tradition. It is um, oalaig.org. Um, we would really, really appreciate that. I would like to thank our tech hosts, Fide and Megan, and of course, Diana. Uh, we're so grateful Katie, for you. Katie to be too, here. she did a lot. And Katie for putting together all the slides. So everything is in the chat so you can download that. I also want you to know that the workshop has been recorded. So that will be posted. It might just take a couple of days. Um, and 
let's see. I guess the, I just wanted to let you know, you know, we're all in this together. There is a great fellowship that supports all of us, but it is about working the steps. Those are what changed me. So this is just the beginning to remove our blocks. I mean, but we're on our way. It is about fact facing and fact finding, stick to the facts. And um, it will restore us to sanity. So I wanted to thank you all for being here, for everything that you've done. Again, Morley, thank you so much. You. And um, I guess we can call it an afternoon. Have a peaceful, mm -hmm. sober, abstinent day, rest of the weekend. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Morley. Thank you, everyone. Are you going to leave the chat on? You have to do that or make somebody else the host.